This episode of the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast is sponsored by AWS Energy. AWS brings the most advanced and secure cloud services and deep industry expertise across energy, utilities, and sustainable energy sectors. Together with a broad partner ecosystem, AWS is accelerating the energy transition through practical innovations to deliver energy efficiently, reliably, sustainably, and responsibly. Learn more at aws.amazon.com slash energy. Humanity is growing and connecting. Tomorrow's world needs more energy from more places. But to find our net zero future, we must overcome the natural constraints of many new energy sources. This is the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, where we look at the energy challenges of modern life and the innovators finding solutions. Join us for a low-carbon, high-energy conversation with your host, Joe Battier. This views of the host are his own and should not be viewed as those of any business, corporation, or government entity. Hello, and welcome to the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast brought to you by AWS Energy. I'm your host, Joe Battier. This is the show where we bring you low-carbon, high-energy stories from the people solving the energy challenges of modern life. I'm here today with Matt Cappers, CEO of Cortec Group. Cortec Group is engineering silicon, or silicone, depending on who you are, to add to battery anodes. Why silicone? What are the challenges? How does this ultimately get used? These are the questions I have and the questions I've, I've asked Matt before, and I want to get into those today and share those with everybody. So with that, Matt, thank you for joining me on the show today. If you would, please share with me and the audience your background and a quick introduction to Cortec Group. Thanks, Joe. And Joe, we appreciate the opportunity to, to speak with you today and your audience. Uh, uh, my, my background, I, I'm, first of all, I'm Matt Cappers, uh, CEO of the Cortec Group. Uh, I've been with the Cortec Group for about two and a half years now. Um, my background has been primarily strategic planning and some corporate finance work. I've worked for a couple of big New York Stock Exchange, multi-billion dollar companies in their corporate development department. Um, and then uh, after that, I've worked with some small businesses, you know, helping grow them and, and make some strategic uh, decisions that way. But I'm really proud of our group here at the Cortec Group. Um, you know, as you mentioned, we are we are experts in engineering silicon, and we've worked with a number of different silicon uh, molecules. And a few years ago, uh, we decided that uh, you know the the battery uh, and energy storage industry um, you know is is rapidly transforming, and silicon um, has some very unique and desirable properties for batteries that we should use our expertise in developing a a silicon anode um, to help, uh, you know, increase energy storage and deliver a higher performing battery. So, you know, that's that's where we are today. Um, we've had some recent successes. Uh, you know, we're, we're developing an anode, an anode material, and uh, you know, currently testing it, and things are, things are looking really well. So thank you, Joe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's exciting that, that you're making this progress. I want to start off to make sure we're all on the same page in terms of how batteries are used today. Because when I think of batteries, I think of either what is in my phone here 
or or something like the lead acid battery in my car. And I've never actually heard of using silicon in batteries. So with with the the lens of energy transition and all of this movement forward with batteries and where we're going with with energy storage and and whatnot, can you lay out kind of what are we using batteries for and and where does the silicon end up fitting into the whole battery landscape? Sure. You know, um, this, this sounds really simple, but batteries are everywhere. I mean, if you think about your everyday life, just from starting your car, like you said, the lead acid battery there to, to get the ignition going to your iWatch, to your iPhone. Um, and, uh, you know, you know there, there are some of the general categories Obviously, your consumer consumer electronics, you know, your phones, your your laptops, things of that nature. Um, but things that we you know often forget about is you know with green energy, um, grid storage, or what they call state, you know, what we call stationary storage. You know, what when a you know when when the wind's blowing, it's creating uh, you know uh, wind power, but that power needs to be stored for when it's not. The same with solar. You know the you know, when the sun goes down, that that uh, that energy is stored in, in big batteries. Um, you know, and then of course the the uh, electric vehicle market. That's that's a huge market. You know, that they're saying. You know, in 2022, the the EV battery market was 56 billion. Depending on who you who you ask, they're saying it's going to be close to 150 billion in three or four years. So, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's the big market that everyone talks about, but there are so many different sub markets underneath that. And then the other, the other uh, market that's really, you know, generating a lot of innovation is the military market. You know, there's government funding out there for, for uh, developing, you know, batteries with, with really special or or expert or pardon me, specific uses. Um, For example, I was just reading an article about um, wearable um, energy storage for the war fighters. So essentially it's like a, like a, like a vest that, you know, a light vest that they would wear and that would power their night vision. It would power their communications. It would, it would power all that. It's just like, you know, like when you have that uh, auxiliary power that you plug your phone into, you know, that, that you keep in your backpack. Well, think of that as something that a war fighter would wear. And that's, you know, so what they're developing there is a really thin lithium ion battery. So all these innovations are, you know, it's coming coming from all the different uses and different applications. Yeah, that is, it's really interesting to think about and and realize that, as you're pointing out, the, there's different applications and those different applications require different different sizing of batteries and and different use cases and, and how they're used. So where... When we talk about silicon itself, where does silicon fit into this this current landscape of batteries and battery technology? Sure. Um, well, let's let's take a step back and talk a little bit about the you know a basic battery. You have a cathode, an anode, a separator, and an electrolyte. Okay. Um, what we're working on is is the anode piece of the equation. And silicon has um, the capability of holding 10 times the lithium ion or the capacity that as compared to what your, tr- what your traditional graphite anode is. Now, reaching, ten, you know, reaching 100% silicon anode is, is you know, going to be a very difficult challenge. 
what we're looking to do is is add 15 to 20 to 25 percent silicon to the to the traditional anode graphite anode and that could double the capacity of of the you know the energy density of a battery and that's you know that that's 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 significant um so you know but but silicon has its challenges and and that's you know that's what we're working on overcoming yeah that's that's very interesting and and I just want to make sure I heard that right. You said just getting 10% silicon into that anode component could double the capacity of of batteries. The, the arithmetic is more like 20%. Uh, 20% silicon, yeah. Now that's you know that's theoretical, you know, and that's what we're trying to to develop and prove out. But you know, everything so far, and there's a lot of uh, white papers out there and a lot of research that definitely support this and. And what we're doing currently in our lab is is proving that you know we're headed in the right direction that way. Yeah, that is that's very exciting because recently I was I, I took a, a Uber drive recently and I was talking to the the Uber driver because I noticed when if anybody's gone taken an Uber recently. There is a premium if you want to ride in a Tesla or an eco eco taxi vehicle, and I was asking him about this and and what his goals were and and all this stuff because I I talk to Uber drivers and he pointed out that with with Tesla specifically it is a problem sometimes it can be a problem even that extra premium that he can make. Ultimately, he has to be able to go and charge his vehicle. And because of, and this was over in, in LA, so very large service area. And his main concern was range anxiety. If he's driving in the middle of the day and has to fill up or recharge his Tesla right next to LAX, he could end up paying four or five equivalent fares just to fill up his Tesla versus using a regular combustion vehicle. He pays his normal $40 every time, knows exactly what it's going to be. So having double energy capacity could be a significant change for really for, for the EV market. Were you going to say something there? Yeah, no, certainly. And, and, and just, you know, uh, part of the other range anxiety is, is the ability to take a trip. You know, if, if you're, you know, if, if you're going to go from Kansas City to, to Denver, Colorado, I mean, that, you know, that that requires, um, you know, a long range. And, and, and part and parcel of that, Joe, is also how quickly you can recharge the battery. You know, if you're taking a long trip, but you got to stop and it takes you an hour to, to get a decent charge on it to finish your trip, that's that's a disincentive. Um, so, yeah. you know, that. Uh, and and what what we're getting at is what's driving all this innovation. You know, the the range anxiety is, is develop. You know, is driving innovation in the in the battery world. Yeah. And then then of course you have governmental support. You know, not just the the military where they're doing cibers and and all sorts of different kind of grants and things, but then just you know general consumer demand. You know, everyone wants their phone to last longer. You know, for their iWatch yeah. to last longer. Yeah. So, so when it comes to the range anxiety and, and 
fast charging. Those are two of the major things with the EV market. How does how does silicon, I guess, silicon would help that by building up that energy capacity. What are some of the challenges right now? Why is silicon not being already incorporated into the anodes for lithium ion batteries? Silicon by its nature, silica, you know, like glass, um, you know, is fragile. It's, it's, it's brittle. And, and as silicon absorbs these ions, um, it can increase in size by 30, 300 to 400%. So, um, and, and when this chemistry happens, when the ions come through, it develops what we call uh, 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 the SCI layer. Uh, solid interface layer that electrolyte interface layer that creates like a crust, so to speak. Um, so I, I always use the example, you know, if you think about, you know, an ice cream cone that you, that they dip in the chocolate and you get that chocolate dip cone, you know, with that like waxy chocolate on it. Think of it when that, if that ice cream would expand by three or 400%. So it, what happens is that chocolate breaks up and then you have all these little debris or these little pieces in the electrolyte, which inhibits the ability for um, the lithium ions to, to get to pass through and get to the silicon. So, so how we're fixing that is really two ways. One, we're embracing the concept that that yes, the silicon is going to expand and contract. So we're we're putting a chemical layer around silicon that's that's a polymer and it's it's uh, flexible so that so it'll so it'll take on that expansion and contraction without fracturing and then the second piece of that is we're using very small what we call nanoparticles of silicon the smaller the silicon the less likely it is to to fracture so you know if you if you think in terms of like a beach ball to a to a ping pong ball you know that that's that ping pong ball is less likely to to fracture so those 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 two angles are what we're using to to fix that expansion contraction problem. That is that is interesting. Thinking through the the just when we talk about something like the molecular makeup there, or or how you're actually putting this together, is is ultimately how you're going to fix that problem. There there's a there's a lot more questions on kind of details we can go down these different rabbit holes i i just am curious about one question that i i want to discuss one idea that we we think about is um charging cycles for batteries and that ends up being one of those limiting factors where batteries have 700 or i think for our iphones it's like a thousand charges and then you start to get significant worsening quality of the battery. Is that an issue with silica? Is that, it sounds like that, that could be a, a major problem. Absolutely. And that's, that's part of the chemistry that we're putting into our, to our battery material. Um, and then, you know, then also with that is, you know, the charge, how quickly it charges, you know, faster charging. So, you know, the, you, you hit it, Joe, right on the head. You know, it's, it's how long is the battery going to last? How long does it take to, to, to charge? And then how much energy density? You know, what's the capacity? How much energy can it hold? And those are the, that's the Rubik's Cube that everyone's trying to, trying to solve. Yeah, very, very cool. 
Now with with this specifically, is there a is there a size limitation? You're talking about nanoparticle size anode development, but the batteries in a Tesla versus the batteries in my phone, they're both lithium ion batteries, but I would assume they're different. How does that work with with what you're developing? Um Yes, it, 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 size size is important. Weight is actually even more important. Um, and and uh, you know, to give the example, you know, the stationary pow- power, the grid power, you know, those batteries, they're the size of you know containers. You know, these these are big big batteries. Where where, where size and weight really doesn't matter, you know, because they're not moving. They're stationary. Versus what goes into a to a Tesla or to an electric vehicle, weight is a big big issue. So you know, si- silicon. If 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 a battery can hold twice the power, then it doesn't have to be as big and and weigh as much. So you know, it's it's the arithmetic in, in that calculation. So yes, I mean, it you know, um, energy density solves some of that problem. Okay. And where do you see the the first opportunities for for this the the silicon anode? As far as are the is it going to be consumer electronics or EVs or or somewhere else? There there are a handful of companies out there developing silicon um, silicon anodes. Um, one company is is working with the military. Um, another company is working with uh, Mercedes Benz. Um, what we're doing is is our, we're in, in many respects we're, we're aiming towards EV, but we're going to let the data help to drive where we're going to take ours. You know the, the 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 data will prove out what what may be the best application at least initially. Um, but right now we're we're certainly targeting uh, the EV market. Okay, yeah, I guess that's a good way to look at it because right now there there is so much opportunity in terms of new developments and it really is what are those first movers and what are the fastest movers on where you should ultimately put put your efforts and, and joe it's, it's really an exciting time in, in in the broadly speaking the energy storage world there's so much innovation going on you know there's there's solid state batteries there's semi-solid state there's you know, uh, zinc. There's all sorts of different different uh, chemistries and different uh, you know formulations that people are, are developing. And and I think we're in the next five to six years, we're going to see some 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 really neat developments. Um, hopefully, not just from the Cortec group, but from other from other other groups. Um, because you know, we're just working on the anode piece. You know, um, so if someone develops a solid state, solid state refers to the a different type of an electrolyte. You know, so if they develop a solid state elect- electrolyte type uh, uh, material, our material may work with that. So, you know, when, when you, you know, when you, back when we talk about the different components of a battery, if, if someone develops a really neat electrolyte and we have a really, really, you know, high performing anode material, you put the two together and it could be, it could be really magical. So it's, it's really, it's really neat. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good point that you are just one piece of the larger battery ecosystem. Right. And I, I think that's a, a, a good, a good uh, segue into 
kind of talking about Cortec and where you're at as a company, do you have the silicon anode in anything right now or or kind of where are you in the, that development scale? Yeah, we, we you know, um, what we're doing is we're incrementally adding silicon, um, you know, because you don't want to immediately start out and, hey, let's dump 50% silicon into the material and see if it works, you know. You know, you start at three or four percent and you just keep incrementally adding and then you test it. And, and as part of the testing is, um, you know, it's cycles. So in other words, we, we plug the, the battery into an analyzer and it, you know, charges, discharges, charges, it discharges. And that goes on for days. You know, so, so you want to you want to cycle it for, you know, 100, 100, 200, 250 cycles to see when it when to use a technical term when it craps out. So, so that's, uh, you know, that's, that's what we're, uh, you know, that's what we're doing right now is, you know, we're, we're developing a material, we test it, we've, you know, learn from mistakes, we see what performs and, and we fix it and, you know, adjust our, our formula and try it again. Um, and uh, right now we're on a really good trajectory and, and our results are, are, have been very favorable. Okay. So then right now you're, you're working on developing the material itself and basically what that, what that product ultimately will be. I would imagine that this is going to be a, a hot item once it is on the market. And I guess that I, I don't have an easy way to ask, but how do you, how do you plan to, to be able to sell and I guess, do where are where are potential constraints in getting this this anode to the market? Yeah, so l- l- let me answer it this way: we we are in discussions with um, with a number of different partners, and partners is a, a very broad term, and that partners could be um, you know a a a cell manufacturer, currently a, a battery manufacturer that says, hey hey, your material is really great. We we just want to put it into our battery and, and license it or buy it from you and, and move forward. Um, you know, then we're, we're also in discussions with automakers and with other consumer electronic companies and, and all of these, you know, um, all these groups have their own little R and I shouldn't say little, they have, they have their R and D group, you know, for example, Ford Motor Company just opened up a, a big facility in Warren, Michigan, um, you know, with hundreds of people and, you know, so we're, you know, we're in discussions with them. And when we reach a certain point, we'll give them our material to test and they'll, they'll do their, their analysis on it. So, you know, I, I don't see the Cortec group as, as, you know, opening up a multi-million dollar battery, battery plant and making our own batteries. We're, we're going to be partnering with, with someone to, to use our anode material with. Yeah. And that, I think that's a good point that when you're talking about somebody like, uh, like a car manufacturer versus a consumer electronics, the, the way that they incorporate your, your anode and your material could be different. And, and that could require a different process that isn't necessarily, that isn't what you don't want to start getting into those weeds. You want to let, you want to let people have the material and the, 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 the base product you've developed and be able to incorporate incorporate that the way they want to to best utilize it. Exactly, exactly. And and our material could be modified, you know, in different ways to, 
you know, a couple of tweaks here or there, it might be better for an iPhone versus an, an EV. So, um, you know, there's some flexibility in that. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So with the, with the trajectory and, and with everything, where do you, where do you expect Cortec and, and kind of the, the, where do you expect your anodes to be in say five years? Jeez, I, I, you know, five years that in, in, in the energy storage world, that's an eternity. Uh, no, it, uh, our goal is, is, you know, to have it, to have it, you know, um, being in use in, in a number of different applications. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we're, we're, yes, definitely. I, I think that, that with our, our material, um, we're going to definitely improve batteries and, I can't tell you which batteries it's going to be and what applications, but, but, you know, we're, we're, we're on the right way. Yeah. 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 That was a tough question, Joe. <laughs> it, it is always, I, it's, it's one of those that I've seen a lot of people recently on LinkedIn talking about the idea stage and, and what you are solving is so important, but it's also knowing what the end goal is is also important and it, it's just something I've, I've started every once in a while asking people like what what do you where do you see yourself in five years and it's always right. fun to to hear hear those answers our, our horizon is is really like next week you know we're moving so fast it's you know things are you know things are coming at us really quickly so yeah yeah I, i'd love to be able to look up and, and try to look five years out but uh, yeah things yeah. are good Thank you. Yeah, and I think that's a that's really exciting too to to know that in six months things will look totally different because of how much progress you're making. That's really exciting right. to hear. And, well, and, and you know, Joe, there there are a lot of other companies doing battery development. And back to that that horizon you're speaking about, there there are there are a number of companies that are in you know air quote stealth mode. And, you know, they're doing developments that they haven't, you know, they may not have filed their, their, their patents yet, or they're, you know, they're trying to keep everything secret. So I really think things are going to, things are going to be popping here in the next couple of years. We're going to see, you know, some developments that have been, you know, stealthy here, you know, recently that, uh, that's going to pop up. I'm, I think it's really an exciting time. And, and, you know, it's, uh, what's that high tide makes all boats rise. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's what we're looking for. Yeah, that is very exciting. Well, with that, I want to transition into my final questions. These are the questions that I ask all of my guests. That first question being, what is a favorite book of yours that you would recommend? Oh, geez. You know, Joe, you gave me the heads up on that one. And and I, I have to tell you, you know, on, on a, you know, my business day and my daily reading, I read so much heavy material that when it comes time to, to leisure read, I, I read a book that that sounds like a movie, you know. So I, I'm, you know, I'm reading the the Harlan Coben, the Matthew Quirk kind of books. So I, I can't necessarily say I'd I'd love to try to wax philosophical here and say, you know, I like the Zen and the art of motorcycle repair or something like that. But for me, uh, reading is an escape. So um, so yeah, I, I do enjoy reading, and it's a great way to to put my mind in neutral. All right. And so the the next question: How do we get to net zero? 
Well, let me answer it this way. We are getting to net zero. Um, you know, I, I th there are, um, you know, it's more than just EVs and, you know, zero emission vehicles. It's green energy. Um, and, and I think energy storage and, and batteries are going to play a really critical piece to that. Um, there's governmental support out there. There's consumer support. There's industry support. And, and when you have that groundswell, that will get us to, to net zero. And, I, and the innovations that we talked about, um, you know, I think we're well on our way. I can't, I can't say, hey, it's going to be, you know, 2040 will be net zero or, or you know, pick a number out. But um, I, I definitely see us on, on the right trajectory there. Yep, that's great. And I, I completely agree. We are definitely on our way and we will, we will continue. So now the last, the last of the final questions, you actually get to ask me a question. Well, let me ask you that question. How, how do you, how do you see us getting to net zero? What's your vision on that? Yeah, I, I agree. It's going to take the more innovation, more collaboration, more, more understanding. And I think this is one of those key components is a, a better understanding of energy from society and then understanding how we can incorporate everything we need to, to get to net zero. And I think one of those components is, is not, not completely writing off things like natural gas because natural gas is a, is a great solution to, uh, to make a, a large decarbonization going from coal to natural gas. And then we need to say, okay, if we're going to use natural gas, how do we do CCS with it? And those are the kind of things that I think are, are, are not talked about enough because it is, it is an all of the above solution. It's going to be an energy mix. And it seems like we don't really understand the totality of energy and what, and what it really is. So I think that that's, that's my view is that it, it really requires us to understand, understand big picture, see the forest and then start finding the, the trees that need to be cut down and the trees that need to be grown more. So um, a follow-up question, if I may, yeah, <laughs> with, with your with your geology background, is is natural gas as plentiful as everyone says it is? So natural gas is is very plentiful, and it is. I I, I will admit I don't rem. I don't know what the most recent reserves estimates are for the for the world, but there is a lot of natural gas, and I and one of the ways you can tell is because natural gas is currently at two or three dollars an MCF, which is incredibly cheap. It is it is silly how cheap it is, and. That's because of supply and demand. It is just a, there is a, a significant overabundance. And, and that actually 
the significant overabundance and the cheap price of natural gas is one of the things that is is stopping further innovation in renewable energies because it is so hard to compete with with that cheap electricity source through the burning of it. Yeah, so market forces, the market forces yeah. are, are, yeah. But, but, you know, ultimately we need to generate electricity to, to put the energy in the battery. So, yeah. 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 Let's not forget that. Yeah. Yep. We, we are going to need more, more energy, more electricity and, and understanding how to do that and, and where to store it and how to best utilize that storage. I think those are all part of this bigger question of how do we actually have a, a an ecosystem, an energy ecosystem that works while also being net zero. Yeah, I mean, there isn't just one solution. It all has to work, you know, in tandem. Yep, yep, absolutely. Well, with that, Matt, I've really enjoyed having you on the show today. Before we sign off, is there anything else that you'd like to say? Yeah, I, I want to say thank you. Uh, we uh, appreciate the opportunity and, and um, hopefully maybe we could do this again as we get a little further along with uh, with our Endurian battery. That would be great. Yeah, yeah. I'd really like to have you all on as a follow-up in the, in the future once you have some more results that you can talk about. Great. Thank you. Well, Yep, absolutely. And thank you again, Matt, for joining us. And thank you, everyone, for joining us on this episode of the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast. If you're enjoying this show, share it with a friend and leave a review telling me what you're enjoying most or what you'd like to hear more of. If you want more news and energy-related stories, we have all sorts of energy-related podcasts on OGGN. You can find them by connecting with us on LinkedIn or visiting OGGN.com. If you're into stickers, I have a way to get you some from OGGN. You can go to my show notes, find that one question survey link, fill it out, and then we will send you some stickers. And finally, if you have any questions, comments, corrections, or have a story that you would like to share, send me an email. That email address is joe.batir at OGGN.com. If you don't use email, find me on LinkedIn. And until next time, remember to keep it low carbon and high energy. Join us again next week for another low carbon, high energy story on the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.